0: Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Moth. And we're back. This is the Masters of Modern. I am here, your host, Alex I Have a Plan Kessler. And joining me today is Ben the Soup Bateman. Hey guys, how you doing? Welcome back. Uh, so, as you might notice, Glenn Jones is not here. This He is now sojourned up to Seattle, re- Renton, Washington, and is now a Wizards employee. So, he's going to be making all those sweet magic cards, and uh, Ben is going to be joining me here uh, for the interim, and we're going to be talking about the sweet magic cards quick aside, uh, we are going to be keeping account of how many times
1: we use the word sweet during this podcast, <laughs> uh, including what I just said and Alex's first reference. We are at two. If you'd like to make it a drinking <laughs> game, feel free.
0: Um, You'll be drunk. So today's going to be kind of a little bit different. Uh, you know, Normally what we do is we talk about a specific subject and then afterwards we pick a certain deck to kind of deck tech. But today we're doing uh, our entire episode on brewing. To do that, we're actually going to kind of do our deck tech while we're talking about it. Excellent. And so we're going to kind of Started off with kind of talking about the deck we want to talk about today, which is a sweet brew that you uh, <laughs> brought up a couple uh, weeks ago and we've been working on. Uh, it kind of attacks the format that we're work- that it currently exists with Delver running rampant in a unique way. Uh, why don't you tell everyone about where we are starting? Well, uh, I started with one of my all-time favorite magic cards, a card I like to call
1: Grand Architect and for those of those of you who don't know that's actually that's such a lie we started with
0: a different card we started with chalice of the void because chalice of the void is actually a good card oh yeah i mean it shuts down so many of what the major decks in the format are trying to do right now yeah getting getting a chalice down on one oh and and for those who don't know what chalice of the void is it's a uh, artifact it costs xx uh which means that you know you have to pay double mana for the effect you want and it comes in play with x counters on it um Spells with a converted mana cost equal to how many counters are on Chalice of the Void get countered. So it basically you whatever mana you can get, if you can pay double the mana of what something would cost, it shuts down those spells for the rest of the game of that cost. So, four mana gets you two, six mana gets you three, et cetera, et cetera. Two mana gets you one, which is the important amount, because Delver is pretty much an entire deck of one-drops. So, what we did is we decided that the best thing the deck would be able to
1: do would be get a turn one Chalice of the Void on the play. So, the initial idea was you play Simeon Spirit Guide and Chalice of the Void, and you can get a turn one Chalice. And from there, you just started to to try to figure out what's good in the format, what's explosive, how well can you pair with this... Which brings me to the next card, Grand Architect. The kind of idea for the deck is Chalice of the Void and Grand Architect. A deck that plays both of those cards and lots of big threats
0: that Architect can kind of power out. Right, it, it, this is a deck that, you know, it's kind of been there on the fringes. You know, Architect has always been a pet card of many brewers out there. And so, the like, the idea of the power that getting out a turn 3 or turn 4 Warm Coil Engine or Batter Skull, which are, like, two of the best possible cards you can have in the field early is is such a like an interesting attempt at doing something in Modern that isn't kind of going on right now, that you know people are very much looking into trying to do this in some way. Because one of the biggest things we notice is that uh, the, the first card, the first time I tried
1: using Grand Architect in Modern, well, second or third time, but most recent time, was when Master of Waves was printed. And I had an interesting conversation at, uh, I think I may have mentioned this last week, but I had an interesting conversation with Sam Black, at, I think it was probably SCGLA, where I referenced that I had come up with this deck idea that I wanted to play a bunch of mono-blue creatures, Grand Architect, and curve it into Master of Waves, which then I wanted to go crazy with Memnarch and try to go infinite, but he was like, I thought the same thing, I just posted a, a deck that doesn't do Memnarch or that. He's <laughs> like, but it, you know, it does It does in fact play Grand Architect into uh, Master of Waves, which I thought was really, really interesting, and I was like, well, you know, if Sam's doing it, then there's, there's clearly, it can't be all bad,
0: so... Uh, and, and previous on this podcast, you know, Master of Waves, we've talked about is, and especially when we we're doing the merfolk episode, is very, very, very strong in this format, and is a card that's probably underplayed. And finding a unique way to kind of take that over, make it more powerful, and then do other powerful things. The fact that this deck on turn four is playing a batter Skull, a Wormhole Engine, or a Master of Waves is a, and a Master of Wave with Lords in play, so all of its creatures are way stronger than they normally would be is a very very strong place to possibly be i mean it's it's and we'll get into kind of how to brew and and i want to kind of jump into that now um but it's doing powerful things and when something is doing powerful things that's a time to kind of look at and see is this actually as good as it seems or is this doing something different so before we get completely into the deck the you know there are a few questions you should be asking yourself when brewing and they kind of explain brewing it brewing is you know, right now, Modern has a few set decks that are already established. Brewing is kind of trying to take all of the very large carpool of Modern, which is one of the interesting things about the format, and creating something new. This is something that happens a lot in Standard, where Standard rotates and you get to... Or any real new format where every time a rotation happens or a new format starts to exist, that's when people start brewing heavily. Which is interesting about modern, is right now, actually, modern is a complete format shift. There are now completely different decks that are dominating the format than there were six months ago. And so, there are uh, there's a possibility that strategies that weren't good in the era of Birthing Pod and Junt are much stronger now in the era of Delver and Ascendancy. Which is sort of an interesting... That,
1: that's sort of an interesting introduction into where do you start as a brewer and how do you attack... Uh, the process as as a format because uh, essentially when you talk about a format shift like that. So historically and modern, some of the biggest decks, I'd say the biggest deck overall has been Jund for the longest time. And Jund, Jund added a few other things. At one point, Jund was playing white for lingering souls. And then it was playing a Johnny Vengeant. Then Jund shifted away when blood Red elf got banned. Then junk got more popular. Now it's sort of more of a green black. The, The bottom line is they're all, they're all mid range decks that have played green and black. Uh, and a bunch of value cards. So that sort of style of deck that's going to take advantage of of discard spells and value creatures, it's not as good anymore. And when, right. when, when there's a so massive... Treasure
0: cru- like, Jun's major advantage has always been, or the Rock deck's major advantage has always been, Thoughtseize you. It's Thoughtseize. And, 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 and Liliana. And Liliana. Empty your hand. And because of Treasure Cruise, those cards are just not good anymore. Or at least they're heavily, heavily limited in how good they were. Right, and so the you know that means that like that's a, a format warping kind of play style that no longer is around. So like the decks that Thoughtseize kind of hated out or abrupt decay hated out are now possible to rise to the top. And
1: and one of the I mean one of the most interesting things to look at in any format is like some some cards some styles of cards will always be good. So resilient threats have gotten so much stronger over the years in magic. I mean, the power the power creep
0: is obvious when you look at cards like Batterskull and Warm Engine. They're just they're just they're so strong. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. There's really only one card in the entire modern format that answers a Batterskull. Not a Batterskull. A Wormcoil uh, engine. Worm engine. And that's Path to Exile. Right. So And that and that's not seeing as much play right now because Delver blue red decks. Are like blue and red are much more prominent in the format, and they play dismember, they play lightning bolt, but they're not. They play gut shot even, but like none of those things do anything. To the warm call engine, and since white has kind of fell to the wayside, path is even less of a problem than normal. I think I remember uh, hearing a conversation, or maybe I was having a conversation with
1: Eric Frolick or <laughs> name drop or Kibler, some, somebody. One of these tournaments, like the last day, I think I referenced this last week. We were talking about fetch lands, and I asked Kibler what he thought his the best card in modern was, and, and he said, "Lightning Bolt." And he said, "It's just hands down; it's, it's the best card in right. modern." Gets, right. you, you play it; you should play it in every deck. It's good against everything. This is back in the days of uh, before they banned the stupid elf black green deathrite shaman. Deathrite shaman, <laughs> right? And uh, and so obviously, you know, when format changes happen and bans happen, cards get a little worse. But it, it is true that Lightning Bolt well, Lightning Bolt got
0: better with deathrite shaman going away because the life game was less permanent. I mean, like, it can't kill rite Shaman, but right. people are also not gaining two life every turn True. to kind of lock, you know, make it so, like, Snapcaster Bolt isn't a plan. Like, so,
1: so something that comes to mind with rite Shaman, and this this is sort of just something I want to identify very quickly because we're referencing Grand Architect, is I think it's really interesting. We talked last week about Ascendancy right. and about how those three, those three abilities got sort of stapled together. Mm-hmm. And you looked at them and you almost could read, you're like, which is the last one they added? Right. Well, one of my favorite types of magic cards, it, it always, are efficiently-costed cards that do too many things. Because, for, for, and, I, and I'm not from, like, a design point, but they're just, as a brewer, you look at a card like Grand Architect and you say, okay, it's it's mono-blue, it costs three, it's not only some weird, unique effect, but
0: it's a lord, as well as the fact that it can turn creatures blue. I mean, it... It, which is probably its, its, its least important ability, but the fact that it's a ramp card, it's it, it kind of very similar to Death Deathrite. I mean, it's cost three, which is a completely different world, Yeah. but it is a mana elf for all intents and purposes, and it also is a lord. So that's two effects that don't really go together, but allow you to do very... It's a versatile card, and that's what we're kind of getting at. And it's scalable, though, which is interesting, what? because in the way the death Deathrite Shaman's never going to
1: accelerate you by more than one mana... This card, if you play something on turn two, a blue creature on turn two, for those of you that don't know what Grand Architect does, by the way, it's a 1-3 it's a creature for two blue and a colorless that blue creatures get plus one plus one. It has an ability that states tap an untapped blue creature you control, add two colorless to your mana pool only to be used for artifact spells or activated abilities, and for one blue, you can tap to turn target artifact creature blue.
0: So, it, it allows it to make your artifact creatures into blue creatures, which then get affected by the Lord ability. It also allows them to now net you a mana from... So, you make one creature blue, and you get two colorless mana out of that blue creature, also ramping yourself. Uh, but before we get more into the deck, I do want to get into, like, questions you should ask yourself when brewing, because, you know, there are other decks you might want to brew. We've talked about in the past that, you know, I've done Glittering Wish into summer's Lost Alara brews. You had your Handsome <laughs> Horror deck back in the day. Um... You know, the first question you have to ask, what are you trying to accomplish? And in reference to this, what you're trying to accomplish is a versatile way, either get a early chalice out or start pumping out giant threats that are impossible to handle. Um, you know, is it a bad version of what other decks are already doing it is probably the question that people ask themselves the least when brewing. I think it's something that is really something that needs to be taken into consideration. It is possible that the deck we're talking about today is just a worse Tron. It's Yeah, it's very possible. And you, when you look at,
1: you know... Top 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 to bottom, bottom to top, inside out—all these phrases that people like to use when discussing uh, deck building and designing a deck. You know, you can attack it from from all different ways. One of the questions that you ask yourself are: are is going to be, what's the best mana in the format, or what's the best acceleration in the format? Tron, in general, has been the best acceleration in the format,
0: if, at least since um, Glimmer post, and all the, that deck got banned out of the format. Especially. If you
1: if you want to get to seven mana on turn three. You play Tron. That gets you Karn liberated on turn three. This is a little different. The threat base is a little bit more versatile, and it's trying to do something else. It's just trying to do something that's a little bit more
0: explosive than Tron, but it doesn't have Tron's late game. But uh, I think I think the way if this deck is not a, just a worse version of Tron, the car, the key cards that kind of allow that to happen are um, the versatility of a possible tesserator Uh, sideboard plan, where, you know, the nice thing about mono-blue artifact decks is there are multiple cards, Tezzeret being the key card in this, that allow you to kind of create a toolbox sideboard, similar to what Ascendancy does with Glittering Wish, where, you know, you have... There are very good specific artifact answers to many different decks, and you can only play one of them, and then just side in a bunch of Tezzerets, which lets you tutor your deck and put them into the play. For the record, Tezzeret is one of
1: the more underused Planeswalkers. It's, uh, if you don't know what it does, it's two blue, three colorless for a Planeswalker that comes down with four loyalty. It has, I believe, three abilities, only
0: one of which... Well, okay, so it's plus one, is untap two artifacts, which is not normally super relevant, though in this deck what it'll generally be used for is either a semi-ramp spell allowing you to untap cards that generate mana, or um, what's um, more important, or not less important, but more often is probably giving just, like, stuff like Worm Coal Engine Vigilance.
1: Yes, and then the, the ability that is
0: always the ability that a brewer looks at Tezzeret for is the Tutor ability. Right, the more is, relevant one, which is, you know, it comes with, them, for loyalty, it can minus X to search for whatever X is, a equal converted mana cost artifact, and put it into play.
1: Yeah, so, so, so essentially it, it just allows you to get pretty much other than Batter, Skull and Warmcoil Engine, which would be the biggest threats in the deck, it allows you to get every other card in the entire deck, plus an entire
0: slew of sideboard right. cards that we could use. That's one of the things I think is a benefit of the strategy, is that Tesser is a different line of attack that's completely different than what Tron's trying to do. The other one um, is Master of Waves. That's, now, that's very interesting, and that's probably when, when we looked at this list in the
1: first place. Master of Waves is the card that I think we all, we were discussing with Glenn last week, or a few weeks ago, or well, last week. To, yeah, whatever it was. We, we all agreed, sort of, first of all, it's four mana, so it's resilient to abrupt decay. It's pro-red, so even if you don't, protection from red, so even if you don't
0: have a chalice down, it can't be bolted. Can't be bolted, in, it, like, mo it can't be gut-shotted, it can't, most of Delver's removal suite, all of Delver's removal suite is red. And that's why
1: if you, I'm sure most of you caught this already, but the reason that you want to curve Architect into Master of Waves is because even if they get rid of the Master, the tokens, the the 1-0 tokens, stay alive because of Architect's blue lord ability.
0: Not to mention, you know, okay, so if the curve is 2-drop into Master, or into Architect, into Master of Waves, you now get 4-3-2s, or 5-3-2s including Master of Waves on the board. That you can immediately tap, due to Architect's ability not requiring summoning sickness to play with...
1: Yes, it's very explosive. You can empty your hand and have a huge
0: turn. The other interesting thing is, you know, that turn is even... You know, most decks have a weakness to board wipes when you just play out your hand. Warm engine allows you to kind of not have that weakness. And so does Batterskull. And so does Batterskull. And that's the am- the amazing thing about... It, when, you, when you look at the whole
1: Architect mana thing and, and how sort of unique of an ability that is, the fact that blue creatures that are played that turn... Can, you, can be activated for the ability without summoning sickness being, being an issue. Allows you to do all kinds of crazy things like returning your batter Skull to your hand, replaying your batter Skull. You just get degenerate amounts of mana to, uh, to interact with these abilities in a way that, that that's something Tron, Tron needs a very specific set of lands to be able to do. Very few other decks have a card as explosive as Grand Architect, if used correctly. And I realize we continue to refer to this card like it's I'll just beat you over the head, power level card. It's not. It's right, just in the right context right. of what well, we're talking about. So
0: that about. gets me actually to the next point. So one of the reasons Grand Architect in the past has not been, and, and super, like, has not really found a home and it hasn't really done well, and it, a, a question you should always ask yourself when brewing decks is, is this deck consistent? What is the consistency of what you're trying to do? And, you know, there are many decks, like, if you look at, kind of, Travis Wu is kind of really famous for this. He is famous for coming out with, like, crazy deck ideas, and he, you know, posts them to Moto. The problem with most of his decks are consistency issues. Right. Like, sometimes they do just crazy powerful things. Like, he has a Narset deck right now that he's champion with Gory's Vengeance that, like, when it does the right, the correct plan, it gets emissions into play turn two, and it just, like, is doing insane things. Right. But it only does that one out of X amount of games, hmm. and it makes it, like, Can you win with that in that way 10 times in a tournament? More than that? Really, you need to do it 20 times in a tournament in a single day? No. And this deck had that problem for a while. When Grand Architect was really the only card that kind of allowed you to do your thing, and even with Grand Architect and uh, Master, or uh, Ethereum Sculptor, which Ethereum Sculptor is a blue and a colorless 1-2 artifact creature that... um, all artifact spells cost one less. So it's kind of an Electromancer from uh, Storm Decks for artifact decks. And, you know, that's eight of this kind of similar spell, but it ended up normally being just a little too short and a little too non resilient. But I think that recently in M15, uh, the card Chief Engineer was printed. I think that actually helped a lot with the consistency problem this deck has. Getting up to five, six, seven, or eight copies of a two-drop that interact favorably with Architect on turn three is an important effect. Right. I mean, like, the the deck was missing two effects. It needed a turn two uh, blue drop so that Architect kind of curved correctly so it can start casting for, like, tapping for four mana. And it also needed another card that if you didn't uh, draw Architect, it kind of did its job. And, you know, Chief Engineer, which gives all artifacts um, Convoke, kind of accomplishes this goal in, you know, it's not necessarily the strongest of these three. I would say it's the weakest of the three, uh, you know, mana cheating artifact reduction spells. But I also think that, you know, that's not necessarily that bad and it does other things that are really strong. It being a 1-3 can block Goblin Guide all day and that's great. <laughs> right. No, so, like, Absolutely. There are things that it does that are strong and you know, you're only playing you know, I wouldn't recommend maybe playing the whole four-four, so you're not playing all twelve, but having that consistency really helps. You know, consistency is one of the things that often people kind of fail to notice. They're like, oh look what this does. This deck does sweet things if everything goes right when I goldfish a thousand times on an app, but when you're actually playing in a tournament, you know, you just don't win two out of three games and that's losing. Your right, absolutely. Every, every round. Um the next question one should generally ask themselves when brewing is does this deck randomly get hated out by cards that are good against already established decks?
1: This is this is an important one to pay attention to because there's a hundred cards you could look at and you could say, this card is good against X, Y, and Z. Right. I mean, there's a lot of good right. magic cards that are being underplayed. The question you have to start to ask yourself is like, just because Grand Architect's a good card in general, or a better example would be, I had this deck that I took to a Grand Prix last year that uh, we we called Hunted Handsome. It was like a deck that played the Hunted Creatures from Ravnica. They're essentially under threats that give your opponent a bunch of creature tokens. Better threats, almost. <laughs> and this was before they changed the Legend rule. So what would happen is that the idea with the deck was that you would get a leyline Line of Singularity, which makes all permanents legendary, and you would play one of these threats, the best of which is a 7-7 trample black creature for two mana. Now... In the games that it worked, and on the play, I would get a Leyland of Singularity and my 7-7, your 2-3-3 tokens would cancel each other out. That was amazing. Here's the problem. At the time, every single deck was playing Path to Exile. So I would say to myself constantly, this is a bad matchup, this is a bad matchup, because my 7-7 amazing draw would just get Path to Exile every game. It's not, it's, it's a fine
0: strategy, but it's bad against the field. Cards that people are already going to be playing. r effect. Removal classically, because a lot of the Teserator decks focus a little too much heavily on artifact. And Artifact Removal is something that at least used to be played a lot because Affinity is a deck in the format. Right. Um Affinity has lowered. I, I think Affinity is not as good as it used to be. I think it's not one of the decks that got as hurt as other decks in the new format, because it is a quick and semi-resilient deck. But like there is more electrolyze effects being played. Gutshot is now a main deck card in a lot of mm. decks. Delver, you know, can kind of tempo affinity out or race them. Uh, Lightning Bolt and Snapcaster Mage is now half the field, which is a bad matchup for Affinity. Um, so there is that issue. So Affinity may not be as rounded, and that means Artifact hate is less relevant. This deck also is not as weak to Artifact hate or Tutor hate that says something like Tron is bad against. So this, like, there are other decks that kind of. When we're going back to the kind of the previous point, that like, is this a worst version of something? It dodges the hate that Tron gets hit by because it's not tutoring things out from your deck. Right. It's not. Um, the main threats that are artifacts are all pretty removal resistant. Batter Skull, if you play it and you still have some mana untapped, you can save the Batter Skull. You know, uh, Worm Coil Engine gives you two 3-3s when it dies. So even that's not very, you know, graveyard hate problematic. And all of your major other threats, Master, you know, Architect is an artifact. Master Waves is an artifact. So, like, this deck's kind of game plan B is non-artifact-based, and the artifacts that it does have in its game plan A are all pretty removal-resistant.
1: Yeah, it definitely definitely is a a deck that seems to be focused on either getting a a Chalice of the Void on turn 1 or getting so turboed out by turn 3 that this deck sort of wants to slow the opponent down enough in the early turns with Disruption in Chalice or take over with such an explosive turn 3 or 4 that the whole kind of point of the deck is to have this massively explosive turn three or four. So by turn five, you should, you should have overwhelmed them with threats that are very removal resistant. And in theory, you've got a chalice down. You've either spent the first turn or two playing chalice or you've spent the first turn or two setting up worm coil engines and batter
0: skulls. Now the last question, and I think this is a, a, a thing that both me and Ben have been criminally guilty of in the past is, and the hunted horror deck that he described previously, I think is a prime <laughs> example of this is The question you should ask yourself when brewing last is, have I gotten too deep? (laughs) Is this deck... Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, always yes. Have I convinced myself for some reason that all these other things are not true, and this deck passes these tests, but I've really just gone in such a deep way that this deck really doesn't do anything, and it's really just not a deck that functions correctly. (laughs) You need to ask yourself two questions. One, have I gotten too deep? Two, is it sweet? (laughs) (laughs) So... Be wary that often you can convince yourself without actually testing. I think that's the the last really piece of information is the key to brew is testing. You know, you can theoretically do whatever you want building a deck and you can build anything. But if you're not going to actually play it against the field and see if it works, it isn't going to be, you know, a true brew. You, You haven't actually successfully done anything because you don't know if it works. True, you do have to,
1: just just coming Gold, up with brews, I'm, right. I'm guilty of that all the time, is coming up with ideas and then getting lazy and not
0: actually building them in real life. Right, just, I, I goldfish them on my phone a hundred times. Oh, this seems sweet. You don't notice that, like, you're goldfishing two out of three games, like, you just like, oh, that hand's terrible, I'll just go take another second. Yeah, right, right, right. Or, like, you know, you even just, like, theoretically, oh, this all works. Okay, great. I won't test it against anything, I'll bring it to, a, you know, like, a major tournament and be like, oh, wait, this doesn't work at all, why am I doing this? Right. Um... So, now that we've kind of gone over the questions you should ask yourself when building, I kind of want to go over where to kind of, like, good places to start. So, That's you know, fair. now that we've kind of gone through the processes you should think about when you're coming up with a deck, there are, I think we have four origination places where decks can come from. Um, I have them listed as the whole, the good, the new, and the forgotten. Um, a whole, which is kind of, and I think actually the deck we're talking about today kind of fulfills a lot of these different categories. Um, a hole in the format, so the first one is, you know, there is a weakness that a lot of the decks have the format right now that are not being exploited, and they don't know that's a weakness they have. And that weakness, from what we can understand, is between Delver, Ascendancy, and many of the other decks
1: in Modern, yep. everybody seems very, very reliant on one-drops, Right. Uh, and the one-drop choice removal spells that people are using are Lightning Bolt and Path to Exile.
0: But especially if the most explosive deck in the format is, is Ascendancy. Well, it's not even that. I mean, like, Delver of Secrets is a one-drop. Getaxian um, Probe. Like, the format is now filled with cantrips, all of which are one-drops. Um, or removal spells or burn spells, which are also all one-drops. And most of the creature's threats in the format are one-drops. Like, if you really look at burn, Delver, um, even blue-white-red, and Ascendancy, all of these decks are with one drop creatures, or one drop removal spells, or one drop cantrips,
1: and another, yeah. So, so I, I totally agree that if you if you look at that, and you say, okay, that that's a big one. And then the other one is that uh, lightning bolt is so heavily played right now that even aside from it being a one drop, what are some things that do take huge advantage of being to withstand three damage? Right. What are what are some threats
0: that are going to get around that, or, or the protection of red, or something? Right. Like that. So you know, chalice on one. That's the hole. That's where we started. That, you know, we asked ourselves, you know, is there a hole in the format? There seems to be one. What's a good card that takes advantage of that? And that is one of them. The second factor is that almost every single threat that's important in this deck, that once it's landed on the field, you're going to win, are Lightning Bolt resistant. Now, not all of them are. Architect is not. Um, Your Mana Ramp dudes are not. But, you know, your Mana Ramp dudes are not that much weaker than the other Mana Ramp dudes in the format to Lightning Bolt. So, like... Yes, that's a weakness, but it's a weakness. Decks have kind of survived through the past, and you have the redundancy of having 12, 10 to 12 of the the artifact creature effects that you kind of can maybe get around the Lightning Blood at first. Not that's- to mention your Chalice could be showing Lightning Blood off in the beginning in the first place.
1: As well as the fact that, like we mentioned already, one of the biggest things about Architect that's different than, say, a Birds of Paradise is when Architect comes down, you get to say, maintain priority yeah. and use the ability if you want to. You right. can cast something else with it. You get that two-mana effect out of Architect if even if they're going to lightning bolt the guy out of the game,
0: right? You, you get still the get the team. value right there. And the last <clears> part is <throat> the bigger threats you're cheating into play are all resistant to lightning bolt. You know, like Tezeret finds you a creature immediately if you maintain a priority. You know, or finds you a better another artifact. Uh, Wormcoil Engine is a six <laughs> six. Batterskull is a four uh, four. Waves has protection from red. So like. Lightning Bolt gets kind of hated out by all of your major threats, and all of you, and Chalice also hates out Lightning Bolt to start with from the beginning. So that kind of describes, you know, is there a hole in the format? You know, the format currently is weak to cards that are good against Lightning Bolt and also cards that hate on one drops. Uh, the next um, category, and a good place to start one, thinking of ways to build a deck. And I think this is actually where. Ninety-nine percent of deck building happens, uh, at least or at least fifty percent at the minimum, where like it's fifty this and then fifty. Oh, these are cards are sweet. <laughs> yeah, Let's do something sweet. with them. Um, is the good um, and this is literally just these are good cards. Do they work well enough together in a way that is not currently seeing play? And does it attack? You know, do they are they just a good like generally mid range decks or what this is? Jen kind of started here, which is like, well, red black. Green kind of all have a bunch of good cards in them. Let's put them all together and see how they work. Oh, Lightning, bolt of K work well together. Oh, Bloodbraid Elf works great with those guys. Bob and uh, Tarmigwife do good things together. So, like, that's kind of what Junk was, and that's where most mid-range decks kind of start from. A Standard is kind of ripe with the good mm. uh, starting points for deck building. Um, and, you know, I've done this before. I, you know, A lot of times I'll look at, like, okay, so black, white, red is a color combination that isn't seeing play what kind of does this deck combination offer and does it is it good enough to kind of get there? Now, Architect kind of does that where, you know, there are cards we haven't talked about that are just good cards that we're seeing play. And an example of that is Master Waves uh, uh, that we've talked about already. Master Waves is just a good card that, right. like, on the field by itself, if you play Master Wave, it already gains you some value and it's resistant to the format. Uh, on top of that, you know, Something we haven't talked about that this deck plays two of is Vidalkin Shackles. Very good. Shackle, we talked about last week, uh, did very well at Pro Tour um, Born of the Gods in Blood Moon, and it's an underplayed card in the format because most decks aren't able to play the large amount of islands you need to kind of make that card work. This deck is mono blue. It currently is playing mostly islands. I think currently in our list we have around 18, and it might go down to 16, Um, but, you know, that card is great against Delver, it's great against Burn, it's great against Twin, like the the cards you can kind of steal, mostly you're just going to be able to win by doing that, and it, it kind of offers a new threat and a new engine that's very resilient to kind of the cards we've already talked about, that this deck could be weak to. Yeah, one one other thing to point out when you just, when you reference that deck from Pro Tour, mm-hmm. uh, Blue Moon
1: it was called, yeah that was another one of the big inspiration points for this deck, in my mind, when I was starting to think, okay, if they get away with it, if they can play Mono Blue with Blood Moon in it, well, we're all we're doing is playing Chalice instead, but that doesn't mean we can't just change it to play Blood Moon as well, because right.
0: Blood Moon's still really good. Blood Moon's completely an option out of the sideboard for this deck. And if you're going like, yeah. to possibly play Spirit Guides,
1: it's, it's yeah. the same concept as powering out a Blood Moon on turn two when you play an Elf on turn one. It's, I mean, I played right. Moon Zoo at one point, which was a strong deck, and this can kind of do the same thing. The, the,
0: the one reason I think that the Moon plan, the, the Moon part of Blood Moon... Sorry, <laughs> the Moon Plan of Bl- uh, Blue Moon isn't as strong right now. And the reason I like Vodkin Shackles more is I actually don't think, other than Ascendancy, which is not showing up as strongly as people kind of expected ahead of time. Yeah, most of the decks in the format aren't that weak to them as they used to be. You know, Delver isn't very weak to Blood Moon at all. No, no. Um, and especially if they like think you're on the Blood Moon Plan, or maybe you'll get Game Two out of it. But really, they're they're going to be able to survive a Blood Moon.
1: Twin survives it. Twin just survives fine.
0: it just fine. Um, you hate out um, scapeshift decks, yeah. but I actually think this deck is not that weak to scapeshift because you gain so much life. towards On turn three, you start getting a ton of life, and that's kind of a problem scapeshift can, can't deal with. Right. Um, and your sideboard options are also... you have like you, Because you're mono-blue mana base, you also get to use tectonic edge, which is great against scapeshift. Um, Very good, yeah. And so like, more to the point is these are you're using cards that are good and blood moon isn't that good in the format but the other cards that from that that deck are all still kind of relevant or uh, specifically the one i was talking about is vidalkin shackles which fits right in the plan you can tour it with tezzeret you know if you if you draw two of them you can discard a thirst for knowledge if you don't want to just start running two of them out you can get it into play turn two turn three you can you know ramp it into play with the artifact lords that we've talked about so it, it does a lot of Powerful things, and you know this. As we we're saying before, a good place to start. Mid-range decks have always been good in this format, and part of the reason is like, if you have enough powerful spells that are just powerful on their own, like a topped decked if they like somehow deal with everything you have, and you're like at five mana, and you top deck Vanalken Shackles. Oh, oh yeah, you're in a great place. Sure. If you top deck Batterswall, you're in a great like. These are cards that are just good by themselves that then also get powered out of stuff.
1: Yeah, that's definitely one of one of the things to look at here is that if if you talk about good stuff decks right this is this is always the complaint when i would say most brewers run into the problem of just sort of laying out their pile of cards and comparing it to a pile of good cards from a deck that has actually won things yeah and they say pound for pound 40 percent of my cards are just bad versions or worse than their cards and and that is the case in this deck i'll be honest from what we have so far the mana creatures the the Architect, et etc., cetera, et cetera, those guys. They're pretty bad late game draws. They aren't good. However, right. you can say that it's it's sort of one of these things. These decks always exist in this weird medium space of being almost combo-y, they're almost mid-range. Well, I think
0: you have in the deck, I think you have six cards that are just dead top decks. Maybe if you include Phyrexia and Metamorph, but really six cards. And those are the Ethereum sculptors and the uh, chief engineers. Because And Spirit Guys if we go that direction. And Spirit Guys if we go that direction. Um, you know, Phyrexia Metamorph is decent because you can copy what they're doing. So, worst case scenario, you are just start getting on par with them. But, you know, Grand Architect, yes, isn't that strong, but it also is the Lord ability. Yeah. Like, which, like, you know, if you're just not doing anything, it, it comes into play and starts actually affecting what needs to happen. And it's a threat they have to answer, otherwise they can start losing to Batter Skulls and whatever else. Comes right, right. Field. Um, or, like, even that into a, you know, as we mentioned, Master Waves is a problem. Um... But that is the you know the jund is a classic good stuff deck. Junk is a classic good stuff deck. These are decks right. that are just like we're playing the best cards. Deal with it. Delver, to be totally honest, is kind of a, almost just a good stuff deck with a you know a different focus, where it's right. instead of I'm playing good creatures and removal, I'm playing a couple good creatures and great spells that work with those creatures.
1: So, uh, so, so, so yeah, good stuff decks. Does it have strengths over other strategies? And are these cards really that good? We sort of just answered, are these cards really that good? Uh, That that is sort of what we're talking about. Some of them are that good. The the, the obviously good cards are good. Some of the others are really not that good. Uh, The the big thing when it says, does this have strengths over the strategies, is this concept of spirit guiding into chalices, et cetera, et cetera. This was a deck called Dragon Stompy from Legacy. This was, a, this was an actual deck that people, with Trinosphere's, and we, we could be playing Trinosphere in this format, but I don't think it's good here. Uh, somebody tried porting this over a year or two ago in Modern, I seem to remember, with Blood Moons, Magus the Moons. I don't know if this version played Trinosphere, Spirit Guides. The problem is that in Legacy, you get City of Traders and Ancient Tomb. Which is how you can so consistently get a Trinisphere out right. and Lotus Petals. You can get it out on turn one almost every game.
0: the the other The other issue is that modern, until very recently, has not been a one, two, and three drop format. Yeah, this is or, true. A, or one and two, at least a one and two drop format. Where you know, in Legacy, most of the cards do not cost more than two, or at least it used to be the case. Now in Modern. You know, that's true. Most spells are one and two drops right now. Maybe three drops. Other than Treasure Cruise, which is arguably also a one drop. Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, the 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 weakness didn't exist until recently. The other thing is, you know, sometimes... Like, there are other decks that are very powerful, and synergy is important. And yes, the cards that we have that are bad aren't great. But, you know, they synergize very well with what the other parts of the deck are trying to do. And are they that much worse with Chalice than Birds of Paradise? Hmm, that's interesting, especially in a monocolor. Like, mana fixing is not what we're looking for these things to do. It's more ramping, and right. you know, because we're trying to play chalice, we can't play the good, the good ones, the one drop mana elves, but the two drop ones that also have like very unique effects. These function differently than a bird, Because right. Most of these can net more than one mana. You know, with Ethereum Sculptor, every artifact you're netting a mana, so you can play three artifacts in a turn, and each one that's three mana that this generated. You know, Chief Engineer. All of your creatures are now birds of paradise.
1: That's yeah. This, that's that's a really interesting way of putting it. When you when you talk about thinking outside the box, and you you talk about like like we said, what's the best fastest mana, right? What if if birds of paradise is the best mana creature? I guess deathrite shaman maybe is better, but in, in terms of those, if that's the standard, is a one drop oh, yeah. that it accelerates you into three on two. Well, how can you mitigate the loss of your mana creatures being two drops? You shut one drops out of the game. Right. That's what you do. Right. And that's, you,
0: that's why you this... You shut one drops out of the game. Or, you know, we're netting more mana than a bird of paradise. So, like... Right. You know, necessi- not necessarily... We're not going one to three. We're going two to four or two to six. That's that's what becomes strong. Um, and, and, you know these aren't necessarily, like, they're not strictly worse than Birds of Paradise because they go wide. All these cards, you know, generate a ton of mana in a in a wide way versus Birds of Paradise that generates a ton of mana quickly in a single singular way. Yeah, I'm not even a ton, just... just Yeah, yeah. one. One <laughs> mana. Um, so the next um, place to start brewing uh, from ways to brew is the new. So this is kind of, I think, the other most common one is, you know, a new card has been created. Right, a new you know, new set comes out. A new card is unbanned, um, and let's start from there. Uh, you know, a prime example of that is what this form. What happened in this format right now? Delver and Ascendancy are two decks that didn't exist, or well, Delver existed but wasn't as strong as it was now. And new cards accomplish this. You know, Ascendancy combo came out. There, there are kind of two ways this happens. One of them is a new engine card. And so, Jeskai Ascendancy is that, where a new card that does something so unique that, like, an entire deck can be built around it and so powerful that it, like, functions. Um... Creates an entire new deck, and that's what Ascendancy kind of accomplished. That's what Birthing Pod did when it first came out. That's what Ascendancy is doing. You know, these are the kind of cards that allow a new deck to sort of be created. Hmm. And then the second way is new consistencies, which which I would argue is what Delver got. I think Treasure Cruise allowed Delver to, to become... And Treasure Cruise and the um, Prowess one-drop. Um, D- uh, yeah, Banner, whatever. Right, I mean, right. it, it's Haste, and it has Prowess as a one-two. Yeah. yeah, two. yeah. yeah. Um, those cards allowed Delver to be much more consistent and play much more of a game of just a bunch of spells and a few, like, you know, 12 threats and a bunch of spells and just, like, card draw and be able to get there it made Delver much more stronger because of new consistencies. I think, as I mentioned earlier, this deck kind of gained that advantage as well, uh, the um, Ethereum Sculptor deck. Yeah. Because of... Um, Chief Engineer. Chief Engineer, and because of Master of Waves over the last year, it's been given two major threats that, you know, A, Master of Waves applies pressure in a new way that still goes with the game plan, and Engineer allows, you know, just that one more step above in the amount of mana dorks that you have right. that are accomplishing kind of what you need to accomplish.
1: Now now you get to the, the last the last bit of this starting starting to brew. And right, This is the places
0: uh, to start when looking to brew a new deck.
1: So, starting from the Forgotten. The Forgotten is what we're going to call this. And uh, does does a new card make an older strategy
0: stronger? It You know, these are, like, new cards being printed that make, you know, Forgotten strategies stronger. Sure. Another example, you know, is an older strategy misbuilt and has potential to get stronger? Does a strategy that, like, you know, has been around, like, I would argue that Gora's Vengeance could be this deck where there maybe isn't just no one's come up with the best version of it yet. Sure. And... We're just kind of waiting to see if someone can actually break the card. Um, I think that uh, Birthing Pod actually took a while for this to be accomplished. I think, like, the first year and a half or two years of Modern, Birthing Pod wasn't built correctly. I think, like, eventually they got to the right point. But, you know, even Jund had this problem where, like, Jund was playing, um, like, I remember the first Pro Tour for Modern. The question with Jund was, do we play for Kitchen Finks or do we play for uh, Geroff's Messengers? Yeah, I remember. And like, like, which one's better? And is it a toss up? And like, now Jun doesn't play either of them and no one's even thinking about it. (laughs) The the deck for me that I always remember watching the evolution of that is the most
1: mind boggling is in Standard. So when Delver rose to prominence in Standard and it got to that oppressive point where it was the post Cobblade Blue deck and it was back, like, but it ended up with the Vapor Snags and the Resto Angels in in the end. But the, the original version of the deck, do you remember how it started? It was the Spirit, most
0: mono blue spirits or something like that. Illusions, yeah. illusions, phantasmal
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. bear, Lord of the Unreal, phantasmal <laughs> dragon. It was playing. I mean, it was a, it was terrible. Like right. it was right. like. But somebody was like, "We're gonna play this. We're gonna play this blue kind of lords kind of weird, janky phantasmal image." I think was in there. And then somebody was like, "Okay, well, what if we cut some of these and we play delvers? We'll add four delvers. This card seems fine." You know, it got printed, right? And then, and then, oh well, I guess vapor snag is okay. And then, oh, snapcaster mage was was oh, really good. Ponders in the
0: format, so we should play that because that allow us to you know make sure delver flips on a regular basis. Yeah. Oh, guys, of saint Traft is here. Um, okay, we should probably yeah put you know that lets us get white and oh wait, well restoration angel just got printed. That seems really good. It seems reasonable, and we have mana leak. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's
1: it's bizarre when you when you watch decks develop in that way and and that built correctly
0: theory right. And so like if you're starting to kind of if you're jumping into the brew game, if you're thinking of maybe brewing a deck, looking at old lists, old decks that kind of have fallen out of favor is a a place to kind of maybe start. The other reason this kind of happens is like, you know, formats change. So, you know, what was good three years ago is probably not good right now or wasn't good you know and then became out of favor now that the format especially right now has shifted so drastically it could maybe come back it could be a format that is now more resilient to what's going on than what used to be going on
1: well and, and to be totally fair I just want to I just want to point so like any, anybody who knows me and knows and plays magic with me and you hear about some of the, the ideas for decks I have and the cards I love to play you can that question am I going too deep yes that that is fine to ask yourself and the, the thing is this though, don't ever, ever, ever let cynical, competitive Magic personalities oh, convince yeah. you that your ideas are bad just by, like, rolling their eyes at your idea. Because I will tell you, you, you if you think outside the box, you will come up with unique ideas that will t- will catch people by surprise more often than you think. I took that Hunted Horror deck to a PTQ, and I believe I went 4-2-1 or 5-3 with it on the play against competitive Tier 1 decks. I mean, right. again... <laughs> I was sitting there, and I would play it against Tron. And if they didn't have a Path Exile, I have a seven-seven, and you have one mana, and I just you just win by turn three. They just right, don't right. have a way to answer you. So you look at Travis Wu, look at the
0: strategy: Connolly Woods, Travis Wu, um, Patrick Chapin. These are guys that are famous for brewing decks. And you know, Travis Wu is probably, and Patrick Chapin are probably the two extremes of brewing, where Patrick Chapin generally goes for. Much more obvious strategies that are more correct in how they're being brewed. While Travis goes for crazy, out of the box, let me try killing someone in the most ridiculous possible way, possible way more than even consistency. Don't ever let yourself get stifled just by the fact that you think you're being too silly or, or some competitive oh, right. magic player. And I think actually the bigger mistake that happens with brewing decks is much often, much more often the fact that people don't test. I think think really the biggest lesson that anyone can learn is testing is important. I mean, Wizards even says this when they come down to designing cards is you can only get so far with theory, and you always just have to put like, you know, just do the work and start playing the deck, even if you have to proxy it, maybe not buy all the cards, and just start playing against your opponent and see, does this deck work? Is this deck good against Blue Red Red Delver? Does this deck have a game against Scapeshift? Does this deck work in the format? Because if it doesn't, then that's fine. You know, like, the the best thing that could happen is you learning from the mistakes and moving on to the next deck. It, if it, And if it's great, if it actually starts doing something, maybe you have something there and you should maybe apply more pressure and just figure out if this is the way you kind of want to make this deck work. Agreed.
1: Um, so the last thing we want to get to... Uh, is, is I mean, we have talked sort of
0: during this process almost at length about this deck already. Right. Uh, the, the, so, you know, as always, we want to do a gauntlet uh, with the deck tech. So since we're doing the deck tech today on the deck we've been talking about the, this entire time, it's kind of been a giant deck tech.
1: And what we should do, just just really quickly, sort of to recap exactly what this deck wants to do, it, this is sort of the general gist of it. If you're going to play was, the version with, with Simeon, Yeah, if you're going to play the version with Simeon Spirit Guide and a couple of gemstone caverns in it. The idea is you can get out a Chalice of the Void on one mana on turn one before your opponent has done anything, shutting off many of their strategies. That is, that is game plan A if you have Simeon Spirit Guide in the deck. Right. If not, you're going to get it out on turn two for one mana, which is still decent, but they may have landed a threat or be holding a counterspell or played a delve right. or something. The, other, the middle game plan is getting, curving basically a, an Ethereum Sculptor into a Grand Architect and tapping the two of them that turn to play a batter skull. So right. turn so like, three like, batter skull.
0: Game plan A is using the disrupt, disruptive effect of
1: Chalice of the Void. Chalice
0: of the Void, sorry. Game G- plan, game plan a. a. Game plan A is using the disruptive effect of Chalice of the Void to kinda of slow them down so you can just play the spells that you have that are good. Game plan B is just using your architects and your other mana dorks to pump out giant artifact creatures that are hard for them to deal with. And I would say game plan C is chaining an Architect into Master of Waves or similar effects, where you're going wide and using the Lord effect to kind of attack from a different angle.
1: And one one thing we haven't pointed out here is that if you are going to play all ten, so two copies of Engineer, four Architects, and four Ethereum Sculptors, one card we didn't mention that we're toying around with that I think we both like a lot is Hall of Triumph, which is three mana, uh, and it's an artifact that states, choose a color, all creatures of this color get plus one plus one. And it turns your 10
0: Mana Lord guys into... Legitimate Threads. So uh, when he first mentioned this card specifically, I thought it probably was the pet card and the card that maybe seemed a little loose. But after actually testing with the deck, uh, the fact that it, A, makes your Master of Ethereum tokens just another thing that, first, A, keeps them around if they deal with Master, and B, just... Master of Waves Master of Waves, sorry. Um and also just is a insurmountable force, like, those things are huge at that point, is really strong. And it also makes all of these one threes and one twos into at least legitimate things that can attack.
1: Well, because just what you realize, that there, I mean, it's pretty obvious when you think about the fact that Grand Architect makes your Master of Waves playable as a threat beyond just a 2-1 Pro Red creature, because the tokens stick around if they kill Master. Right. Hall of Triumph does the same thing, and because Ethereum Sculptor's in the deck, reducing the cost greatly, and I mean, anybody who played Architect back in Standard, or obviously there's a number of Phyrexian Metamorphs in this list, because they're a blue or
0: card, four.
1: then that's an artifact that yeah. also can be a blue creature. It's good on every level. As soon as you have multiple Ethereum Sculptors, that Hall of Triumph can just come down for free half
0: the time. Well, yeah, The, the, the game plan that I was surprised was in the deck is, you know, playing Ethereum Sculptor Chief Engineer and then using those cards to, and then copying them with uh, the Metamorph for a reduced amount. And every Metamorph from that point on is cheaper. And then once those are all in play, Hall of Triumph can come in for free and just make all of those, you know, like, an army of three or two drop, you know, two attacking creatures that's much stronger than I expected it to be.
1: And because batter skull and Wormcoil Engine, that's, that's the difference. The obvious difference between Ethereum Sculptor and Grand Architect is that Architect requires you to tap all of your creatures to, u- to utilize their mana for these big threats. Once you have multiple Sculptors in play... Everything's free. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you can be attacking with right. all your 2-3 and 2-4 and blue creatures and just tapping, like, 2 mana to play a batter skull right. or something like that. It's like all of a sudden when you can be playing 4-4 four four Lifelink guys for 2 mana and 3 mana for Wyrmgrill Engines, the deck is just crazy explosive.
0: Right. Um, a few other cute things that the deck does before we move into the, you know, into the actual Gauntlet. Um, so, you know, as we mentioned, there is a Tezzeret plan built in there deck the, right now is running two main and two in the side alex's version my version <laughs> <It's just kidding. laughs> um things that are important to that is a it can cheat in the hall of triumph b we're playing a singleton or one to two mere Superions, which is a two drop artifacts creature that's a five six that can only be cast uh using mana not from lands so you Our know only creature generated mana is it only creature generated mana yeah okay so it's a it's a Mere Superion is a 2-drop, 5-6 artifact creature that um, can only be put into play using, or can only be cast using creature, mana produced by creatures. Um, you know, A, we have a plan. You know, you can use either a combination of Chief Engineer, Ethereum Sculptor, or Grand Architect to just get into play. That yep. yeah, works really fine, and a 5-6 is nothing to laugh at. The other side, you know, and you don't want to play too many of them, because if you draw them and not those things, they're just dead cards. Yeah. But... With Tezzeret, he's another card you can cheat him to play. Tezzeret, playing a 5-drop, playing Tezzeret and then cheating in a Mir Superion and then keeping Tezzeret still on the board and putting a 5-6 to play is a very strong play. And so it, it offers another, like, like this is the threat that Tezzeret brings in, while that also offers you the level of all of these, you know, singleton, disruptive cards that you can also side in that are artifacts that Tezzeret also can search up. Um, and we mentioned um, Vidalkan Shackles. Uh, I think beyond just chalice um, and Bedalkin Shackles, the other card I think it would be good for disruption is Dismember, because it goes around the chalice. It's, mm. you know, just a straight-up removal spell. Sometimes it's important to have something that can answer threats.
1: And you have so much life gain that the life loss is mitigated. Right,
0: exactly. So I think it's something that, you know, is a card that is something that should be considered and something that played. Um, land-wise, you know, we've been talking about Simeon Spirit Guide, and a card that has come up is Gemstone Mind. Gemstone so, Caverns. Cavern. sorry. Gemstone Caverns. Um, this card... Well, why don't you explain what it does? <laughs>
1: Gemstone Caverns is a legendary land from Time Spiral that is essentially... It's created as a combo card. that It was in the early versions of uh, Hulk Flash before they banned Flash from Legacy, which was at the first... I believe the first Legacy Grand Prix. As soon as possible, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's a card that it states, if it's in your opening hand and you are not on the play, you may remove a different card from your hand and put it into play with a luck counter on it the luck counter makes it so that it can tap for any color. It basically just allows you to remove a card in your hand from the game, put a land into play on your opponent's turn, so have, a, have a, a City of Brass for no life loss on turn zero. And because you're removing a card from your hand but you're on the draw, you're both starting with seven cards basically, but you have a land in play. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to land a turn one chalice, it's just a nice second option to Simeon Spirit Guide to be able to play a chalice on your first turn.
0: That can also, you know... Function in a deck, it's a little bit better in the deck consistency-wise. Absolutely. Because you don't have to do that. You can just play it as a, a colorless-producing mana. Um, and since your deck is artifacts and you don't need that much blue mana, it can actually be okay since you're not playing red or other colors. It makes it a little easier to run with colorless lands. It's
1: also for the same reason that Spirit Guide, while Spirit Guide was in the initial list and we may take it out, was in there to be able to power out a, a turn one chalice. Well, imagine you're on the draw. You put your gemstone caverns into play turn turn 1 essentially for you you are able to play an ethereum sculptor that means that on turn 2 you can play architect and batterskull right on the draw turn 2 batterskull pretty darn good right <laughs> i mean it it seems it seems like a worthwhile plan considering you're only playing two of them
0: right and so beyond that you know one of the interesting things about the deck is because it's monocolor, you have a little bit more freedom to play with some colorless spell lands so you know this deck currently we have a list with you know 3 tectonic edge which you maybe can go to the 4th uh, we also are playing Fairy Conclave because a man land is good always, always. and it's you know, a blue creature, it's that, a blue gets creature that gets pumped. Um, the other side of that is like there are no very few one drops in the deck, and so playing a land tapped on turn one is not that uh, you know that damaging if you're curving out.
1: There are no one drops in the deck.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, theoretically, we're talking about playing Chalice on turn one. Turn one plays, not one drops. So. Okay, sure, <laughs> yeah. sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is kind of where. The deck stands, you know, the Cyborg plan can, you know, there are a ton of artifact hate cards, Graf Digger's Cage, Pithing Needle, Relic of Progenitus, Spellskite, Torpor Orb, you know, even Crucible wards or Snaring Bridge. These are all artifact cards that Tezzeret can cheat into play, or you can even consider just playing anyways, because you can cheat them into play yourself with your many artifact mana-producing birds of paradise that you're playing in the deck. Oblivion Stone's probably another card you'd want to have one of in yeah, the sideboard. Yeah, Oblivion Stone. Um, so yeah, so let's kind of get into the gauntlet, and then uh, move on. So, the first off, as we mentioned, Delver. Blue-Red Delver is the big bad of the format right now. It's, you know, format warping to the extent that it's probably the best deck by a pretty wide margin. Um, This deck was built to kind of fight Delver. It has life gain to mitigate the fact that they can burn you out. It has Chalice of the Void, which is really the original point of the whole deck, where it lets you attack Delver in a way that it's very, very bad at fighting. Like, if if you play that, the only two cards in their deck... The three cards that you really then have to worry about are counter spells. Um Pyromancer? Pyromancer. Pyromancer.
1: Young Pyromancer? Young Pyromancer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Young Pyromancer. And Treasure Cruise are the only cards they really can cast in their deck. Everything yeah. else is a one-drop. And, you know, Treasure Cruise is terrible at that point, because who cares? Uh a two-one that only like three spells in their deck are castable, when you're killing so many cards in their hand, it becomes much worse as a card. And that deck is
1: so bad at dealing with Wyrmcoil Engines and Batterskulls that if you can land one... Yeah. If you can land one, their 2-1 or any of their 1-1 tokens do nothing because you're gaining (laughs) 6
0: or 4 life every time they attack into it. Well, I mean, if you're playing with Batterskull, you're getting 6, a turn, and they can't do anything about that 6-6. And if you're playing with Batterskull, you're getting 8 a to turn because they can't... Or they're not attacking you. Yeah. Like. <laughs> it,
1: it definitely it definitely feels... If, if the deck was to function correctly, I mean, that's that's the big question, is we, we need to sleeve the thing up and test it against all these matchups extensively to really be able to guarantee that this is the right. case. But if, in theory, it was to function in the way we intend it to, Delver would be one of your best matchups. Right. It, it just would be very hard to imagine a Delver deck winning through this.
0: Right. My fear... The fears I have um, are... Counter magic is still viable against you. Yep. And, you know, Batterskull and Warm cool Engine aren't the best cards against... Counter-, counter, ma- counter spells, Mind you, the fact that you're cheating it out on possibly turn... F- you know, on turn four, if you're getting a, a Batterskull in, or uh, not even a Batterskull, a Warm Cool Engine, you can keep mana on tap to fight mana leak. And so you're really worrying about remand, which is problematic, but you also, like... Are still able to pump a lot of creatures in the play very easily versus their game plan, which takes you know they're taking a turn out to kind of stop what you're doing.
1: Defense Grid is probably another card that comes to mind in the sideboard if you if you go against a, a blue deck. Um,
0: is Defense Grid an artifact? Yeah. Okay. Cool. And that's Sorry. that's that's interesting. It, well, uh, uh, yeah. So so cards that I think you do bring in. I think there is some hate you can bring in against Delver, even though it's a strong matchup. You want to be stronger, right? Uh, defense Grid, which makes it so that their counter magic is much worse. Yep. Um, which you just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> Stealing your idea. Going to edit it out. <laughs> uh, Spellskite, I think, is just in general a strong card. That's going to be good. very good against many matchups. That's a
1: card that I've, I've
0: on multiple occasions tried to justify playing as a main deck card. <laughs> I mean, main deck, Birthing Pod has played one Spellskite main forever. Right? Yeah. Because, I mean, like, it is a strong card. Um, I think that um, you could probably maybe even convince yourself to play a few swan songs. Um, I think you keep that on the side because there are decks like Splinter Twin that are going to be much harder of a matchup. That makes yeah. very important for, um, you know, and, and maybe Engineer Explosives because of the tokens that you might be kneeling to deal with. But I don't know how strong that would be. Um, but it's a possibility.
1: Yeah, definitely a possibility. I, I think your your better bet is to come up with a plan that is. You're so flexible because you're mono blue. That your mana base is kind of up in the air as far as how you want to build this. Right. So there's any number of there's any number of secondary colors you could go into for support. Right. Whether it's whether it's red and you play some number of blood boons and volcanic fallouts. Fallout seems very, very,
0: very good against I think Delver. A little hard just because of the double red. But yes. Yeah. 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 But again, I mean, it's, yeah.
1: it doesn't seem difficult really at the, the end of the day. One of the
0: point is I think with Delver, the sideboard options, you're, the deck is built to beat Delver. The main deck should be, the, be, the like, every deck right now's main deck should be able to handle Delver, yeah. or you're not playing correctly. Well, that's and that's what the
1: point of this yeah, deck is. Yeah, so that's, so so, that's so so. If you if you move on to a deck that functions pretty differently, I'd say, Scape Shift, which would be another one of the sort of baddies of the format. Right.
0: Where Scape Shift got better, I, you know, it's unsure right now if it's how its Delver matchup is. So that might make it weaker just because it's a little slower than Delver is. Right. Um, but it still can just straight-out kill people, mm. and Delver itself can straight kill and, and it got Dick through time, so it is a stronger deck than it was before. And it was already pretty strong. Um, this deck, I think, is... You know, your A game plan against them is the game life. It's to just try and get a Batterskull or, or a worm Coal engine in there. Because every three life you gain is a, another turn you're buying yourself. And
1: against. Chalice is bad, right, against them? Because they yeah. don't. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, Chalice is a card I would take out. Do they...
1: What... what? Are their most okay? Cryptic Command's a big spell for them. Remand's a big spell
0: for them. Uh, Scapeshift itself is a big spell for them. Um, so, Scapeshift, Remand, the, the counter magic keeps you done. Dig Through Time is really good for them. Like, uh, the one thing that Chalice does hurt out is um, the one one drop they have in the deck is Serum Visions. It's not that big of a deal. Most of the ramp spells aren't even on consistent mana cost. So, mm-hmm. like, it's really hard to hit out with a Chalice. I don't think Chalice is the card you really have against them. Except that. How, they're, they're, how slow is Scapeshift? A turn four deck? Oh, uh, it's a turn. It can
1: do turn four. It's more consistent turn five. So turn five deck. Yeah, it's hilarious to think that this deck
0: is so explosive. You could play a Chalice on four. <laughs> yeah, no, that's. I mean, like, it, I would save Chalices for four straight up because it stops both Cryptic Command and Scapeshift, Shift, which are the biggest problems you probably have. against At, this at deck. which
1: point, the only card in your deck that is unplayable becomes you can't play Metamorphs and you can't play Master of Waves. But if you're shutting down Scapeshift, who cares? Yeah, you, who cares? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'd rather if I can make it so Scapeshift can't kill me. I'll, because like the other thing is the only thing they have the answer Eight Chalice is, yeah,
1: Cryptic Command. Well, that's the and that's the hilarious thing is that if you're on the play and you curve Architect into Master of Waves, you can play. You can actually play a Chalice for eight mana any, any of the, that turn. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy, right? Yeah. So that's that's sort of just a, a glimpse into like quite how insane the mana production out of this deck could be. They'll have three lands on the table and if they don't have a counterspell, you just play Chalice for four on turn mana. Three. On
0: turn 3, for four.
1: And they're just they're done.
0: Okay. Uh turn 4. It's a turn 4 Chalice for four.
1: Yeah, but they, I'm saying if you're on the play, they've got three mana. well, no, they've probably tri they've probably yeah, they're tri, tri- or, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, you can you can get it down there and if they tap out or they like cuz like the other side is they might not be Right now, especially because this is a brew, yeah. they might not be expecting chalice to come down. I'm sure they won't be. <laughs> so, so they like they're gonna tap out because like they're like oh whatever, what are they gonna do? I'm gonna win. It doesn't matter. I can scape from the death. Yeah. So you have a little bit more versatility. Um, the next uh, cards that you know are a consideration on the sideboard, blood moon is good against them. Yep. Um, you know. As I mentioned earlier, Swan Song is probably a strong card in this matchup. Big time, yeah. Um, something that we didn't mention that is good for the Scapeshift matchup is you're running multiple um, Tectonic edges, yeah. And that Tectonic edge—the reason you're playing Tectonic edge is more this deck than any other one. Man lands are an issue as well, but this is very specifically a, a card that helps you in that matchup. I would say also in this, Defense is a big one for you, for you. Oh yeah, Defense Grid is great here. I think also this is the deck that, you know, Crucible Worlds, if you were going to play it, this is the deck you bring it in against. Yeah. Because it lets you cycle those tectonic edges, making them basically just unable to get past three mana. So, you know, your, your deck is already kind of has some things against shift because you need to, you know, it, it can play those lands and it also has the game plan of, a few good sidebar cards to bring in. Defense Grid, Swan Song, Crucible Worlds. You know, these are cards that are pretty decent in the matchup. Hmm. All right. Affin- so next, I want to talk about Affinity. Um, Something to keep in mind here: that Chalice. This is another deck that Chalice coming down one is not as strong, but Chalice on turn on two or Chalice on zero are both very strong effects.
1: Yeah, it's certainly interesting. It's difficult for you to play a Chalice on two with this with this list the way it's constructed. You have so many cards in the deck that you really do want to be playing on turn two when you can't even cast your sculptors in the game. It's not strong enough.
0: Well, what I'm saying is, is not necessarily playing on turn two, but. Have X B to it. That's
1: what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's it's difficult. It's just a little bit more difficult to play it. You can
0: accomplish it on turn three.
1: But no, no, no. Oh, what I'm, what oh, yeah. I'm saying is that deck's so fast that unless yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. so zero, I can understand because if zero, they right. can't play a Mox Opal. Zero, they can't play a Memnite. They can't play an Ornithopter. They right. can't play uh, what else causes zero? Memnite,
0: Ornithopter, and Mox.
1: Those yeah. are the
0: three important cards that you shut down.
1: It slows them down enough that if you could play it on zero, it's very likely you'll be able to get a life gainer in time to survive the matchup. Right, right.
0: Uh, Because, you know, that's the other point. (laughs) Batterskull... The thing that is important to remember is Batterskull and Wyrmcoel Engine, if you get them in the play in any conveniently timed manner, are just so much better than almost any card that could be in play. It just, they're mitigated by the fact that they cost a lot of mana. So that's why this deck is trying to pump them out. Absolutely. And is another matchup where if I start getting life on turn three with Batterskull... There's not a. Like, they can still kill you because they can still outright get you with poison or. Dispatch. Dispatch. Um, not even just. Dis- like, poison and. Um, just like, four life isn't that much against uh, Skullclamp. Yeah. It really isn't. They're going to hit you for chunks of 10 in the air, and your skull is not going to do very much. Cranial Plating, you mean? I 100% I care about playing. What did I say? Yeah, skull clamp. Oh, Skullclamp. Oh, skull. I'm 100%. If only clamp. Skullclamp were yeah. legal. <laughs> 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 skullclamp would. <laughs> I think Treasure Cruise is bad. <laughs> Have we thought about playing Skullclamp in this deck? <laughs>
1: against affinity like definitely definitely your sideboard plan against affinity is is fine i think that shackles is a pretty strong card against them oh yeah th- I and
0: mean, that's in the main deck so shackles is good against them it kind of you know you can steal their artifact creatures and then use them it's also great against cards like Ravager, yep. where you can sack the Ravager to itself, so you get, like it's basically a full-on removal spell, and it, you can put those counters on one of your artifact creatures, making it even better. And
1: when they, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when they try to sack Ravager, it gives you the defense of them trying to shift the modular onto a creature, which right. is a targetable ability. Yeah, 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 It's the same thing with Spellskit being able to re to uh, redirect the modular ability. Right. You can just steal the creature in response, and I believe you still get the... You, yeah, you, you
0: get the creature. Yeah, that's, that's where you... The, the thing you have to be wary of is trying to steal Ravager. They can put enough counters on it to make it so you don't right. get to uh, steal it with Vidalcan Shackles. It's but, just one of those who who bites first thing. Right. Um, the other thing to keep in mind here is that Vidalcan Shackles is also a card that can steal um, the... Edge champion. Yes, yes, um, yes. Is, that's you huge. Know, that's a huge problem with a lot of decks. Like that's that's one of like Finney's best cards right now is that because like it's also a lightning bolt resilient threat. Yeah, and this is a way like Vodalka shackles is just blatantly a removal spell for that card. Big time, big time. Um, the you know out of the sideboard, I think this is a format where you know a Searing Bridge might be pretty good in this matchup. Could because be because yep. it, it you can get you empty your hand so quickly that in Searing Bridge, which makes it so that it's a three drop artifact that. Opponents can't attack you with creatures that power is larger than the amount of cards that are in your hand. Yep. So a Staring Bridge can very easily just lock Affinity out from really doing much damage to you. Um, if you can get your hand out of the way, uh, this is another deck that Sket is good against. <laughs>
1: it's good against everything. Um,
0: Pithing Needle is another card to consider for this matchup. Um, because Pithing Needle you know, locks out uh, both either Ravager and or... Um, not skull clamp. <laughs> You're looking for... Oh, Cranial Plating? Right, it locks out, uh, you know, Cranial Plating and um, Ravager. Yeah. Um, and Steel Overseer. And Steel Overseer. Um, though I think Steel Overseer of those cards is the one you have to worry about the least.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't lock all out because it just you have to choose one. You yeah, can... you should choose one, but I think those other two are much more worrisome which revoker becomes another option
0: there as well because it's true true, true. power um, it's pumpable you can turn it blue but the only reason i haven't incl- i don't think revoker would be as good as pithing needle in this format right now is the if you do not stop the lightning bolt plan yeah pithing needle is stronger yeah and time. to be totally honest it might just be stronger in general because chalice is a card that might not be good in matchups that you put pithing needle in for yes
1: yeah, so obviously pithing needle
0: comes in for chalice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, your one drop artifacts too in general i yeah. would assume um the issue here is: Does Affinity race you?
1: And the answer is probably yes. They, <laughs> I mean, you your game one against Affinity is pretty bad. You're you're really not. Your bananas draw is like batter is like a batter skull on turn three. Which, if you're on the draw, their board is already set up enough by turn three that by the time it's, I mean, they probably have a way to remove it. Like it's just it seems really really difficult. You have to you would have to have a a really
0: strong set. I also think this is a race. I think this is like you're playing Master Waves and other cards that kind of just beat into their face quicker than they're beating into you. And and I think it's a race that you're not really favored to win, but I think you can. I think you can race them. I think your nut nut draws, like your draws with Master Waves, could be wide enough and powerful enough to kind of make it a race versus just you straight up losing. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, and obviously. Uh... I think, Vidal- <laughs> as we mentioned, the Dawkins Chuckles is a hue in this format. Tectonic Edge is really helpful because you kill kill their man lands, which are you know some of the problems you'll have with this deck threat-wise. Um, so I, I think there is a game. I think it's a difficult one. Yeah. Um, next, um, and last but not least, uh, Splinter Twin. Um, so Splinter Twin is probably the other one that's a tough matchup. I think this is the main reason you're playing stuff like uh, Swansong and... Uh, the artifact we mentioned a few times that you brought up. Defense grid. Uh, defense grid.
1: Definitely, yeah. I mean, there's no question your game one against Splinter Twin is pretty much awful. The, right. Your, your best bet is that you're going to get out... If you can get down Chalice for one, and you can get it down on turn
0: one, it it shuts down their consistency of their draw spells. Right. Which is well, strong. The, the cards that are good are Chalice, I think. The Dalkin Shackles is very strong. And I think that, like... You just have to go for it. I think you have to race them. I think there's another deck that, like, you can probably kill them if they stumble, if they don't have the combo in hand. Then you just have, to, like, if they're a tempo version of the deck, then you can maybe go into them and beat into their their game plan. Um, I do think it's hard. I think sideboard wise, you get access to cards like Torpor Orb, Swan Song, Defense Grid, Spell Skite. These are all cards that are very good against them. Do they do they play
1: in the main deck ways to bounce your threats? I know I know out of the sideboard they'll they'll bring in things like Echoing and No, I don't think
0: much in the main deck. In so the... if if you're good... though though Batterskull and Worm cool Engine are not good against the tap abilities of Deceiver Exarch and Pester
1: True. And and also the deck functions
0: all at instant speed.
1: So you're really not gonna be able to resolve a chalice for, for three. You're not gonna you're no. not gonna play no, 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 no.
0: Chalice but you, you for will six mana. You will happen. be able to this is another matchup that I think Master of the Waves is like their game B plan to master, or game C plan to master yeah. waves is where you really get helped
1: out. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess who goes first in this matchup seems pretty relevant. And I suppose if you go first, you can land a chalice on one, and then you can just curve it in to beat your face in. Maybe you can go faster, and they're not going to be able to draw the cards they need because they don't have their cantrips. And I, they play four lightning bolt in the main deck as well. Right. So you, you shut You're off their ability.
0: You are turning cards off, and they have peak and serum vision. Not peak. Uh, Taxine probe. Yeah. Of hand. They have sleight of hand, and and so like there's ways to kind of disrupt them with chao. Chalice. Chalice on one is still decent against them. Yeah. Because they are very much similar to a delver deck. They're a combo delver deck versus. Uh, just a tempo deck.
1: Yeah, your sideboard plan against them is pretty pretty good. Yeah, you, you definitely have uh, access to most mm-hmm. of the cards. the cards that are good against
0: them. Yeah, and yeah.
1: and definitely, yeah, just having counter magic and and et cetera et cetera. So I think that's probably the toughest. That's the toughest game one and the easiest game two.
0: All right, so that kind of covers the uh, gauntlet. Um, you know, the thing to remember about brewing in general, is to make sure you, you know, the one lesson we kind of want to press is, is be creative. Like, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of haters out there in the world, and they kind of, you know, they'll discourage you. They'll say, well, you should just play a good deck, like a deck that's on the internet, whatever. And which is fine. And, and, you know, we're in an era where it's no longer like a faux pas to net deck. But, you know, if you want to brew, feel free doing so, and the key is testing. And something
1: I'll, I'll add really quickly, because there's a couple different kinds of brewers, some of, some of us like to just use good cards and just slap, they'll call it a brew, but it's using a bunch of cards that see tons of play anyway. It's like, I dispelled this new list, but it plays all cards that are format staples anyway. It's a brew, but it's not a super, super creative out of the box brew, because at the end of the day, you're not using cards that no one plays. If you're going to try to use cards that no one plays, something very important to remember is this. Most of the time, you're counting on drawing two different cards in your opening hand for the deck to be super, super good. And if you look at a deck like Splinter Twin that has eight copies of each of the combo pieces, and it's a two-card combo, most of the time when you draw an opening hand, even with that list, you will not get both combo pieces in the opener. So if you're going to be creative in this way and try to build a deck like this Architect deck... Consistency. Consistency is everything. And you have to remember that most of the time, if you have four copies of two different cards, and the whole crux of the deck relies on that, you won't
0: draw them in the opening hand. Right. And, 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 you know, on that point, this deck the one we talked about today, I don't think it was playable until recently. I think it now has that level of consistency of Mana Lords. I think it now has, you know, in in a combination of Phyrexia Metamorph, um, Batter Skull, and Worm Coal Engine, it has the, the other side of that, which is very large threats that can yep. do a lot of damage. And I think with Hall of Triumph, and master of Ethereum, it now has the redundancy of the Lord plan, so that master, master of, the waves, of waves, master of waves is stronger. Um, yeah, and when but, I said master of Ethereum, actually meant architect, grand architect.
1: Yeah. So the, the end of the day, the the bottom line is: be creative, think outside the box, use cards that people think are bad, try to make them good. Be creative, sleeve things up, and test. Just remember, if it doesn't work, don't, don't be afraid disturbed. to kill it. Right. Build something else. Keep trying. Don't give up on brewing. It ultimately is the most satisfying thing in the world to take your brew to a tournament and win any number of games. Right. Even
0: right. if you don't win the tournament. Though, though, on the other end, don't get discouraged if you bring it to – and this is why we say test. Don't get discouraged if you bring it to a tournament and then you just lose a bunch of games. Because the point mm-hmm. is learning. You want to learn – Absolutely. You, like. The process of this is learning what cards are good, what cards are bad. Worst case scenario, you learn, like, okay, these cards are unplayable for this reason, and if they print X card, this could be a deck that I can bring back, which is kind of what happened here.
1: And by the way, just in case anybody listening wants to add this, we never mentioned it even once, we're aware of the fact that Pala goes infinite with Grand Architect and makes a million mana. (laughs) I've tried to build the deck in Modern before. It's possible that we would even try to add it in as, like, a sideboard plan. It's just really, really hard to do.
0: Right. As we mentioned, you know, Earlier pet cards, Pilly Paula is definitively a pet card, <laughs> <laughs> as wide as it goes. It it and who knows, it might be powerful enough. But you know, we wanted to make this deck kind of take the most efficient, most consistent consistency is kind of what we are aiming for with what we are trying to accomplish with this plan. Hundred um, percent. You know, I want to remind everyone that you know the deck lists we've talked about today are in below on on uh, the dot on the page. Um, you know, make sure to. Check out our sister podcast, The Command Cast. Jimmy and Josh host, you know, a commander show. They do a lot of cool things. Uh, we actually should be having each of them on to the show over the next couple weeks, kind of to introduce to them and have them talk about it, as well as them kind of rehash. They've actually been on the show before. Um, Remember that Rocket Jump currently is releasing VGHS, the most awesomest web series out there. Hmm. Um, It's like Harry Potter meets video games. Awesome. And who doesn't love Harry Potter and video games? Uh, As always, we have a question of the week. We want to kind of know what deck you guys are brewing. If you can tweet it at us, Uh, our Twitters are um, at Ben underscore Bateman and at Kess Wiley. You can put it in the comments below on RocketJump.com. And lastly... We kind of want to thank you guys for listening. We want to thank Ben for now joining us as part of Masters of Modern. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. I
1: would love to keep talking to you about Grand Architect every week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, not every week is going to be all the brutasticness. Next week, we'll kind of get back to the similar schedule. Um, Awesome. Uh, You know, we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to mmcast at rocketjump.com.
1: See you later, alligator.